of you who know my background know that I grew up in the Catholic Church until at the age of 13. And when you grow up Catholic, there's several rituals that are a really big deal. And one of them is called the First Communion. It happens when you're in the first or second grade, and we have a couple Sunday school classes that teach you about communion and get ready. And finally, we pass our balls and we can finally go out and receive uh, the Eucharist communion from the priest. And it's really big deal. It's such a big deal that your, your parents have told you to party, your, your family and friends come over, and you get cards with money in it. And so this morning, I want to talk about why the table is so special and why it leads us to worship Jesus Christ. You know, the reading that Stan finished with from 1 Corinthians, Paul, Paul is saying he's going to, he's, he gives this whole chapter on communion, and he ends his, oh, by the way, I'm going to come back with some more instructions. Man, I wish I had that sermon recorded. <laughs> that would be awesome to have that, but we don't have that. But this morning, I want to kind of channel my Paul. Am I, is my mic not on? Do I need a new mic? On. There, there we go. There we go. Sorry about that. Uh, so this morning, I want to channel my inner apostle Paul, and I want to I give you some more instructions about communion, about the Lord's Supper. So what I want to do is I want to give you a, a definition of communion. I want to give you six different names of communion and how those different names lead us to respond in worship, and then I'll, uh, explain about how we can participate in this special worship um, so I encourage you, I encourage you every time to take notes, but especially today. You ever heard that the shortest pencil is longer than the longest, the, or the shortest pencil is longer than the shortest memory? Something like that. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Anyway, when you write things down, you're going to remember it better. You're going to get more out of our messages when you take notes. But especially today, there's going to be a lot of things to, to follow along with. So I want to encourage you with that. So let's start with what is communion? What is communion? Here's a definition for you. The sacrament of communion is the sacred use of the bread and cup as commanded by Jesus Christ. It is a worshipful thanksgiving to God in which we remember the saving death of Jesus Christ, celebrate his victorious resurrection, hope for his return when he establishes his kingdom, and experience his presence with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Wow. Some of you are like, man, I didn't know all that was going on when I was taking the cracker and the juice. But there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. Let's, and I want to unpack that. And so, in, in fact, there's actually six different names for this worship service in the Bible and in church history. And there, there may be more, but I'm going to focus on six. 
and how those different names have a different connotation of what the table means and how we respond in worship. So the first is this, the Lord's table. The Lord's table, it's called the Lord's table. And the reference here is 1 Corinthians 10.21. I'm not going to read the passage there. Uh, But the context is, in the Greco-Roman world, there were countless religious societies, all kinds of religious societies that that worshipped different gods and idols. And they actually often hosted dinners uh, in the presence of and honor to different gods and idols. And here's an example that we have from history. It says uh, on the screen, Cherimon invites you to a meal at the table of the Lord Serapis. That's one of the Roman gods or Greek gods. In the Serapim, tomorrow the 15th from 9 o'clock onwards. So this is a piece of history that we have. It's an invitation to go to a meal in the honor of Lord Serapis. And so from this invitation, you know uh, who is being honored at this meal. It's the Lord Serapis and whose presence is going to be there. So to call communion the Lord's table, it's a way of communicating that this service is in honor of Jesus Christ and it's his presence that will be uh, at the table. He's the one who's at the table. He is the one who is hosting this meal. And so whatever understanding that we get into about communion, we must first and foremost remember this, that the table is about Jesus Christ. The table is about honoring and worshiping Jesus. It's established by him. It's for him. It's about him. It's to honor him. It's to remember him. It's to commune with him. It is all about Jesus Christ. That is what the table is about. And so to name it the Lord's table reminds us of very important things. That Jesus is the Lord of his table. And that when we come to communion, we have to remember that he is the one who is inviting us to come. He's at the head of the table. You know, I may stand right here when I'm presiding over the table, but the pastor is not the head of the table. The deacons are not the head of the table. No one else is head of the table but Jesus Christ. He is the head and Lord of his table. And he is the one who instituted it. You know, if you're the Lord of something, you can, you can do as you please. And he has decreed it. He has said that he wants this to be a continual remembrance of his name for all generations. And we simply do it because the Lord has said, do this. Do this in remembrance of me. So we do it to honor him because he is our Lord. And so what is our worship response to that? Our worship response to the Lord's table is simple. It's submission. It's submitting yourself to Jesus as Lord. As Lord over everything, Lord over all, and Lord of your life, Lord of your heart. No one else gets to rule your life but him. He's not just our friend. He's not just our savior. He is Lord of all, your king. As we sang, you are my king. So I think part of the reason that, you know, a helpful thing that we can do is when we come to the table, uh, things we've been doing is you you can come forward. And I like to think of that as kind of like the old school altar call, the Billy Graham, just as I am. That when you come forward to communion, you're submitting yourself again to say, yes, Jesus, I'm coming to your table, submitting myself to your lordship. And that's what we do when we come. So that's the first name, the Lord's table. The second is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. And the reference there, if you want to read it, is 1 Corinthians 11.20. And this passage, this is one of the most famous passages about communion. And this is where Paul gives what the church calls the words of institution. If you haven't heard that term, this is simply the, the account of the Last Supper. On the night when he was betrayed, he was handed over to suffering and death. We say it every communion service. It comes out of that and also from Jesus' words in the gospel. Um, but the emphasis on the Lord's Supper is really recalling the Last Supper of Jesus Christ with his disciples. And then what comes after that? His betrayal by Judas, his arrest, 
his beating and flogging, his, his suffering, his crucifixion on the cross. We remember all of those things when we think about the Lord's Supper. And if you remember in the Last Supper, what, what is Jesus actually celebrating there? What were they celebrating? It was the Passover. They were celebrating a Passover meal. Now, this was a meal that God commanded the Israelites to have to remember the Exodus. When God had, had passed over them in judgment and judged the Egyptians instead, brought them through the Red Sea, made a covenant with them, and then his presence came to dwell with them in the tabernacle. And they were to remember all of that with a meal. And um, the Exodus, this became kind of the, the central saving event of the Israelite community. It made them who they were. This is where the, their identity came, came from. They could say, God saved us, God delivered us back in Egypt. So in the same way, the, the cross and the resurrection of Christ become the new exodus for the Christian community. That the, the cross, this is the central saving event in, of, of God in Christ to save us and redeem us, and it's remembered in a meal for all generations. So this is why Jesus said, do this in remembrance. Remembrance of me. We serve the Lord's Supper to remember Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. So sometimes you'll hear, hear it called a memorial meal. We're, we're in memorial of Christ. And so really what that means is the Lord's Supper, it transmits the memory of the gospel to the church through all generations so that we always remember and talk about Jesus Christ and what he's done. So our response to the Lord's Supper is simply to remember. And, that, and to do that well is actually a little bit harder than what it sounds like. To remember, to think through, to meditate, to think about what Christ did, to not let it just, a story that you've heard a thousand times, to remember it well, you have to enter in. You have to think about it. You have to remember what he has done. So the Lord's Supper, it points to the cross, to the body and shed blood of Jesus Christ, and we remember that on Communion Sunday. The third name of communion is the breaking of the bread. The breaking of the, the bread. This is found in a couple spots in the Bible. One is the passage that Stan read out of this morning in the book of Acts, the early church. They devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread, it says. Um, and this simply can mean, it can mean a sharing of a meal together, but I want to focus on maybe another meaning that it can evoke for us. Um, the same author who wrote the book of Acts, a guy named Luke, uh, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, uh, if you didn't know that. And uh, he tells another instance of the breaking of bread. Uh, does anybody remember this? When does Luke tell about the breaking of the bread? You've just heard, yes, road to Emmaus. You just heard two sermons on this. You just heard two sermons on this. So I'm not going to re recapture it if you weren't here. You can listen online. But Luke tells a story about these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And a stranger comes along, and it's Jesus, but they don't know it. And he explains the word to them. Then he breaks the bread, and, he's, and they recognize him when he breaks the bread. And so this, uh, this um, passage... Uh, let, me, let me just quote from it briefly real quick. Luke 24, 35, it's on the screen. Uh, the two were told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. There's the breaking of the bread. Uh, so this story, it's a story about the Lord's Supper, but it's actually in the context of the resurrection, right? This is after Jesus has been raised from the dead. So this is a resurrection story. That Jesus is alive, that somehow when they gather to the table, they're still experiencing his presence. He's not in the tomb, he has been raised. So this is a resurrection story. Breaking bread reminds us of Jesus' table fellowship when he was here among us in the Gospels. 
during his earthly ministry. How he was constantly present to people, how he was constantly eating with people. And so breaking bread, it's, it's what we do on Sundays, it's having a meal with the living Jesus in his presence. It's a reminder that he's still alive and that we can commune with him and that he's actually listening to what is going on because he's still alive and he can be present to us today. And so our, our worship response to the breaking of the bread, it's to celebrate. It's to celebrate. We celebrate that Jesus is still alive, that he is reigning at the right hand of the Father, and we celebrate that we get to break bread with him in his presence. And this is, I believe, this is one is really important for us evangelicals because most evangelicals and Protestants, they, we stay stuck in the Lord's Supper. We stay, communion is mainly about the death of Christ and his body and blood, and that, of course, that's, that's, we just talked about that, that's important. But we stay stuck there. And the gospel is not that Jesus just died, it's that he died and rose again. He died and rose again. And so we need to celebrate at the Lord's table. It shouldn't just be only a funeral. It's not just a somber thing. We need to celebrate and worship Christ. And so one thing I think that is helpful to do when we come to the table is, is to rejoice in singing. And you'll have the opportunity to do that today. That you respond in worship. That woe to us if we just take the bread and we don't respond in worship. Because we're experiencing, we're communing with the living Christ. So number four is communion. Communion. This comes out of 1 Corinthians 10, 16. You can see it on the screen. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Now that word participation, you may have heard it translated before, fellowship. It's the, it's the Greek word koinonia. And if you've been in Christian circles, you've probably heard this before. It's a word that means fellowship, sharing, partnership. Uh, people have translated it uh, communal, participation. And so what, are we, what is the group, what is the community participating in? Well, Paul says the, the body and the blood of Christ. They're participating in that. And so participating in communion in this meal makes you part of the community, makes you part of the body. It makes you a participant in Christ's saving death for you. Now, it doesn't mean communion saves us or anything, anything like that, uh, but it, we become participants in this sacred meal together. And so it makes us a participant because, and I want to give you a quote here from a couple scholars. It says, The Lord's Supper is best understood as a covenant-ratifying meal in which the whole community was to participate. Was to participate. So he said, they're saying here, communion, it's a covenant meal. What's, well, what's a covenant? A covenant is an agreement between two parties. It's, and, it's, and it's usually there's a somber occasion to, to ratify the agreement together. And then usually after it, there's a meal. And you've probably heard that most, the most modern thing, uh, comparison that we have is a marriage. You enter into a covenant relationship with another person. And then what's afterward is usually a meal. That you're, you're ratifying and you're celebrating what has just taken place. And so Jesus, if you remember in his words, he calls communion the new covenant in his blood. It's the new covenant. And so when we come to the table, it's kind of like we're, re we're renewing this covenant with Christ. We're renewing our commitment to him and our relationship with him, which by default, it renews our relationship with his body, the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so communion, it's about establishing the vertical connection with Christ and the horizontal connection with our brothers and sisters. That's why it's called communion. It's promoting unity, the brotherhood and sisterhood, the family of God. 
And this is why Paul goes on to say in the next verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, he says, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. He's talking about the unity of the body of Christ. Communion, it unites us with other believers in Christ. So, my friends, it is essential that when we come to the table, that we have reconciled with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That if there is an issue that we have with somebody in the church, that if there is unforgiveness, that there, there is something that we need to resolve, that we must let it be resolved because it is about establishing a covenant relationship with Christ and his body. And in fact, there's an early Christian teaching out of the Didache, Didache which comes from the, about the first or second century. And it says, anyone at variance with his neighbor must not join you until they are reconciled. You see, the early church knew this was a really big deal. That this is a communion with Christ and his body, so we best not come to this table unreconciled with our brothers and sisters. Communion makes us respond with confession and reconciliation. That's our response to communion. To, be rec to confess to God and be reconciled with him all the ways that we have fallen short of his glory and to be reconciled horizontally with our brothers and sisters, the family of God. It reminds us that the Christian life has to be sustained by forgiveness, by God's grace. That his grace to us and then our grace to one another. How can we possibly live together if we can't forgive each other? That's what it reminds us. And so it requires from us that we reconcile with God and with each other frequently and often and liberally. So that is communion. The fifth name of communion is the Eucharist. The Eucharist. This comes out of Luke 22, verse 19. And it says, Jesus, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now that word, gave thanks, which I bolded, that is the Greek word, eucharistesos, where we get the word eucharist. And it literally means thanksgiving. It means thanksgiving, to give thanks. And now, for me, I remember the word Eucharist from my Catholic background. It's a word that we used a lot. And for some reason, us Protestants don't seem to use it as much. But it's actually, it's a very important word and a word that we can glean from on what we're doing here. At the Eucharist, we give thanks to God for all that he has done for us in the history of the world and through Jesus Christ. And we proclaim our thanksgiving to him when we come to the table. In the Eucharist, it's especially focused on thanking Jesus and God for overcoming all things, for his final victory, that he has defeated death, that he has defeated sin, that he has overcome the powers of evil and hell and all authorities. He has overcome it all. He has gained the victory. And so we give thanks and we celebrate it. And then when we do that, that gives us hope. It gives us hope because we know that the Lord who has conquered all things will one day come again and set all things right. You know, Jesus said, that we would celebrate this until he comes. That he's coming again to establish his kingdom fully and renew the whole world. So the Eucharist, it's the Thanksgiving meal of the church. It's where you come around and you eat a bunch of food and watch football. And <laughs> No, it's where you come, we come around the table to give, but we do, we, we give thanks around this table for what God has done, and we look forward to when he returns and establishes his kingdom. So our response in the Eucharist is to give thanks and to hope. It's to give thanks and to hope. 
We do this in many ways, but one way we accomplish this is there's always a prayer of thanksgiving before we get into the actual service of the bread and cup, and I'll, I'll say more about that in a little bit. And finally, the last word for communion that we have is called the love feast. The love feast. And the reference here comes out of Jude one twelve. I'm not going to read it. You can look it up on your own. Uh, you may have heard this called the agape feast, the Greek word for love, or the agape meal. And, uh, it, and actually, this was probably the most widely used name for communion in the, the first few centuries of the church. And it was the most widely practiced as well. And it was actually a full meal where the church fellowshiped with one another. And at that time, they celebrated the Eucharist. And so, I believe this was called, they called it the love feast because, uh, one, because Jesus had so loved them and they were celebrating that. But also because they were pouring out that love with each other. The early Christians were known for how much they loved each other, for loving one another. And they showed that by having a meal together. And this is clearly depicted by Paul, even in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 33, that that we read this morning. He says, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Saying they were eating. They were having a meal. That's as simple as that. They were having a meal together. And so I, I quoted this quote before in our blessed series when we're talking about missional practices. You know, begin with prayer, listen, eat together, serve, share your story. Uh, if that reminds you a little bit. So the eat together part, we talked about this. Tim Chester, he says, the early church didn't just have meals uh, along with their worship services. Their worship services were meals. That was part of what they did. So, and so some scholars, they, they, they're not sure exactly how there was the meal, but then there was like the Lord's Supper portion where they took the bread and cup. Some people think they did that right at the beginning and then had the meal together. Some people think they had the meal first and then the, the rite of the Lord's Supper was at the end. The reality is we, there was probably some diversity in how it was celebrated exactly. But no matter what happened uh, to this, eventually the, the, the rite of the Lord's Supper got separated from the meal over time. And that happened for various reasons. Uh, but the point was, the point of the love feast was, was to show the love of God to one another by becoming present to each other over a shared meal. This was their practical way that they showed each other that, yes, I do care about you deeply. You are my brother. You are my sister in Christ. Let us sit across from the table and share in this good fellowship that we have. And so our worship response to the love feast is to deeply love our brothers and sisters in Christ. To deeply love them. To treat each other just like family. That we become precious and dear to one another across the table. So let me recap a little bit this morning. How are we to worship at the table? It's the title of my sermon. Worship at the table. We are to come to the table, to the Lord's table, by submitting ourselves to Jesus' Lordship. So when you come forward this morning, make it an outward sign of an inward reality that you are submitting yourself to Jesus Christ as Lord. We're also, we're supposed to remember the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. We're meditating on his sacrifice on the, cro- on the cross for our sins. So when we're preparing the table, when we're saying the words of the institution, when we're ingesting the elements, think about what Jesus has done for you, his broken body and his shed blood. We're also, we're to celebrate his resurrection. We're to joyfully proclaim how good God is through our worship and how we respond. And so this morning, I encourage you to do that by singing out with our worship team. When we come to the table, we're supposed to confess our sins and to reconcile with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So after, I'm going to pray after my sermon. I'm going to give you a moment to confess your sins before God, to re- get right with God 
before we come to the table. And I encourage you, if, there, if, you have, if there's an issue that you need to resolve, maybe you want, I don't even know, maybe even right now, uh, if, if that is possible, that maybe you want to tap somebody on the shoulder during prayer while the eyes are closed and say, hey, let's, let's resolve this. Uh, but I encourage you to do that. before When you know a communion Sunday is coming, let's not take the Lord's table in vain. We need to reconcile and forgive and love and be reconciled to each other. So we're also supposed to give thanks for all that God has done. We're going to do that in prayer, and then we're to love each other deeply. And how excited I am that we're going to be extending this table out into an actual meal in Peterson Hall. And I want to invite you to consider that as part of your worship today, because that was part of the worship of the early church, how we celebrated the table. That actually it's not just this rite we do, but it's, it's a fellowship that we share, a communion in his presence. So I would invite you to uh, consider that part of the worship. I mean, most people don't leave a worship service halfway through. So just consider that part of the worship service today. That's part of what we're doing. So let me just close with just a br- very, very brief template to a communion service. So that, and it's done in various ways, and I'm not saying this is how all communion services will always go and how they're always done, and churches, various churches do it differently. I just want to give you a sample so that you can get an idea of what's going on. Okay, so this is a sample. So the first, there's an invitation to communion. Usually some words are said inviting you to come to the table. Then kind of the big piece is what's called the prayer of thanksgiving. And this is kind of the long prayer before we celebrate. That's thanking God for all he has done in history, what he's done in Christ, and preparing our hearts to receive the communion table. And often we begin, it begins with the traditional lift up your hearts. Yes, we lift them up to the Lord. It's right to give thanks to the Lord our God. So that begins the prayer of thanksgiving and then we pray. And then that then comes the words of institution. This is the remembrance part, remembering on the night he was betrayed and retelling the story. And then after the words of institution, the church has traditionally said what's called the memorial acclamation. And this is together saying the mystery of faith, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And you'll have the opportunity to say that today. And then comes the breaking of the bread and the presenting of the elements. And then we will go to our stations and invite you to receive And this is inviting you to receive the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. And I encourage you, just a brief thing. When you come forward to the elements, this is just a very little practical, simple thing. You will hear your servers say, the body of Christ broken for you, and then the blood of Christ shed for you. And when they say that and when you receive, I want to encourage you to say the word amen. It is adding your amen to the truth that is being proclaimed to you. It's a little mini gospel to you. So when the server says that to you, body of Christ, broken for you, say amen, receive the elements, and remember Christ. Then, we, so we, dis, we distribute the bread and cup, you guys come forward, uh, and then the, our response should be worship. And that, this can be various things. Uh, we're going to be singing some songs today. Sometimes, some of you may be led to uh, be silent before the Lord. You're, just, you're so in awe of what Jesus has done that you just need to sit and reflect. That's okay too. Some of you want to joyfully proclaim his resurrection. All are good, all are welcome. Please just respond in some type of worship. Um, and also this morning, I'm not, I'm not going to explain it in the service, but you also have the opportunity this morning to receive prayer. Uh, Dan and Betsy Dobler are going to be in each corner. And when you go around, if there's any prayer needs that you have, that you can be prayed for during our communion service. And then usually there is a closing prayer. So hopefully, if you heard all this, you understand the communion table more. Who's ready to eat? Let's get ready to celebrate the Lord's table. Let's pray. Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord of all. You are Lord of your table. 
we come submitting our lives to you, submitting ourselves to your lordship, that Jesus, when you are Lord, that we have nothing to fear because you are sitting on your throne. And Lord, when we come approach your presence, we become aware of how sinful we are, how in need we are of your grace. And so we take a few moments now to silently confess our sins before you. Oh Lord, take that, take that coal from the altar. Cleanse our lips, cleanse our hearts. Make us worthy to receive the food from your table. Say the word, Lord, and we shall be healed, we shall be restored. Father, we thank you for the gift of the table. We thank you that we get to uh, celebrate and worship and encounter your presence. Thank you that you are alive and reigning and that we get to praise you. And we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.